All right, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. This morning I would like to look at what is known as parable of the soils. Sometimes you may see a heading in your Bible that says the parable of the sower. Uh, I do want you to understand that that is absolutely not true. This is not about the sower. It is about the soil. Okay? This parable is about the human heart, which is, of course, representing the soil, and its receptiveness to the gospel message. And the gospel message, of course, is symbolized by the seed that is thrown or that is sown, if you will, by the farmer. And it is the condition of the soil, the human heart, which determines if that seed, the gospel message, is truly accepted or not. It's important that we grasp that, uh, that, un- that understanding uh, when we share the gospel with someone because the outcome is not always the way we expect it. It's not about the expertise of the sower. It's not about the state of the seed. It's about the condition of the soil. Okay. Now, before we actually get into the text this morning, let me just remind you of the outline of the parable because there's a lot uh, being talked about. Jesus here is on the Sea of Galilee, speaking, as verse 2 says, to a large crowd that has gathered around him. Matter of fact, it says there that it was so large that he had to actually get into the boat uh, due to the amount of people. Well, being in the boat and knowing that his voice, as many of you know, is going to carry across the water, he decides to take the opportunity to share this parable with all who were willing to listen. And therefore, while he's there sitting in the boat, while the people are lined up on the water's edge, he begins to say this. And I'm going to start in verse 3. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up, and they choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, and it produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. So ultimately what Jesus does here is he's giving us the condition of four soils. Are they receptive to the seed? And the seed, of course, will be scattered, scattered and fall on every one of those soils, but unfortunately that does not guarantee that a crop will follow, does it? It's going to fall on many types of soils. Number one, some seed that the farmer throws out there falls on what verse 4 calls the path. Okay, The path, Jesus says, cannot accept the seed. It cannot germinate because it's hard, it's compact, it is dry dirt. And therefore, with that, the only benefit to that seed is to give the birds something to eat. They're they're thrilled, I'm sure. 
The seed is therefore literally wasted and consequently it produces nothing for the farmer. Number two, other seed that fell there, verse 5 says, fell on rocky places which is really a, a rock bed. I know some of us here, if you, have, you, ha, you, you see the dirt, but you stick a shovel in there and it goes a couple inches deep and wham, you, just, you lay out to it many, many rocks. That's what he's talking about here. This is a rock bed, which is really not too far below the surface of the soil. There's literally just a little bit of soil on top of there. And so the seed will germinate and he says it'll spring up quickly, but due to the layer of rock, he says it doesn't have any roots, and therefore it, it cannot get water. Matter of fact, verse 6 says the sun comes out, it burns the plant up, and it's dead just like that. It literally happens that fast. Thirdly, other seeds fall on what I would call thorn-filled weeds that are below the surface of the soil. He tells us that the seed begins to germinate. It produces a little bit of the plant, but as you've probably seen in your own yards, weeds begin to grow up as well. And being more powerful, they actually overcome the plant. And as verse 7 says, it chokes it. And then for the third straight time, it did not produce a crop. And then, of course, lastly, other seeds fall on good soil, which was the goal, right? And it says it sprouts, it grows, and it produces a harvest. Well, this morning we're going to enter into the section that Jesus now gives the interpretation of the parable. Okay, that was just kind of a precursor there because it spoke of the parable. But now we enter into the part we're going to be looking at a little, a little more in depth. And it is the interpretation. But he gives the disciples first some insight into why he uses these parables. Therefore, look with me, if you will. I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. It says, when he was alone, he meaning Jesus, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So in verse 10 here, you'll see there is an inquiry, if you will, about the parables. And so Jesus responds to them in the first part of verse 11. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has now been given to you. Okay? The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now remember who he's talking to right now. Verse 10 says the 12 and the other disciples. I think the New American Standard says his followers. Okay, So these are basically those who are professing to believe. Okay, Those who are professing Christ. And so for them, he says that they have received the secret of the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, the word secret there in the Greek is mysterion, and probably no surprise, you know, that's where we get our word for mystery, okay? So, what this means in the New Testament is these are things that were once hidden, but they have now been made known. 
Very simple. Things that were hidden at one time, but now they have been made known. In other words, divine truth that even the Old Testament saints did not know, okay, they, he says, now have access to. Okay? Even some of the Old Testament saints did not have this information, but they now have access to. Now, ultimately, down the road, this is going to be the entire unfolding of the gospel message. Ephesians 3, we'll get into that. But here, though, it doesn't tell us all of the specifics of the secret, but it does say it has to do with the kingdom of God, and therefore, I'm sure that revolved around the person and work of Jesus himself. Now, on the flip side, speaking to the unbelieving, okay, Jesus gives some pretty harsh words. Notice in the second half, I'm going to read them again, but in the second half of verse 11, going into verse 12, he says, but, right, first he was talking to those, the believers, now he says, but to those on the outside, Everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving. They'll be ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, did Jesus just tell us that the reason he teaches them in parables is so they won't understand? The answer is, yeah, he did. Now, this being the case, you can imagine this is one of those verses that Bible commentaries and theologians go a little, a little bit nuts with, but typically they try to soften it up a little bit. Well, that's just a little too harsh for me, as if they know Jesus better than the Word of God. Sometimes you have, you have people who do that, and so they're trying to soften it up a little bit. They'll look into all the details of every verb, every verb tense, even individual letters of certain words, just in case they got turned around, and it would therefore change the meaning. Some of them believe that Mark even misunderstood the Aramaic that Jesus was speaking. Okay? Now, I have read all of these views, and it just seems that people do not want to accept the harsh reality that Jesus gives. I mean, I just want to be clear, okay? I understand that from a human perspective, but the bottom line is we have to take the Word of God for what it gives us, okay? Well, I don't think Jesus was that way. I, I think we don't care what you think. I mean, let's just be honest, I don't, because that's what people want to do. Jesus is harsh sometimes. It is a harsh reality. Look at when he talks about hell, which by the way, he talks about more than heaven. That's a harsh reality. But you don't sit here and say, that's just not the Jesus that I worship. Well, then you worship the wrong Jesus. Okay? Jesus says he speaks to those on the outside in parables. In the New Living Translation, it says, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, okay? And he's basically saying here that these people are just like the Israel that Isaiah dealt with. They're stubborn. He says they're immovable, and therefore, they're unchanging. 
He's saying they're so far out there, they're so hard-hearted that even based upon what they have seen and what they have heard from Jesus, they just refuse to believe. Okay? Remember, folks, Jesus didn't always speak to them in parables. He spoke the gospel to them. He talked to them about repentance. He talked to them about faith. He talked about himself being the Messiah. But they rejected his message. Even though some of them, not all, but some of them have seen some unbelieving miracles, unbelievable miracles. I mean, people have been healed. They've seen demons cast out. They've seen people who were blind from birth who can actually see for the very first time but yet they are still unbelieving. Now, even though Mark does not give us all of the the inside information here, what this tells me, in my opinion, is that these people bought into the lies of the Jewish leaders. Through our study of Romans, we talked a little bit about how the, the Jewish rabbis would give false information to a lot of these people, and they believe it. And these people believe it as well, okay? These Jewish leaders, you know them, they're the ones who say that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath. They're the ones who called him blasphemous because he forgave sins. They're the ones that saw him cast out demons, and yet they said, oh, he does so under the power of the devil. And yes, they are probably also the ones who are working with the Herodians, and you know who they were. They were the ones who were going to kill Jesus but they are their spiritual leaders. They're buying into what these people are saying about Jesus. Like so many Christians today, they just listen to the person up front and say, okay, because they're ignorant about Scripture. But being what I just said, therefore, Jesus is speaking to them right now about judgment. About judgment. These unrelenting, persistent, determined unbelievers are getting the door shut in their faces uh, by hearing Jesus speak in parables without any explanation, and therefore there's no way for them to understand. Okay? If they want to hold on to their unbelieving hearts, rejecting everything that Jesus stands for, all Jesus is saying is, fine, then you're going to get what I give you. That's it. That's what you get, basically, is how we would say it. It's like as we've studied in Romans chapter 1 not too long ago. You remember where where Paul said, God gave them over. Remember that? Remember he gave, he said that three different times. God gave them over to their sin, their immorality, and so on and so forth. Basically, it's saying that God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things that their hearts desired. Basically, God did to man what man already did to God, and that was walk away. It's God basically saying, if this is what you want to do, if if you literally want me out of the picture, if you want to live your life in outright immorality, fine, go right ahead. That's exactly what you're going to get. That's it. That sounds familiar. You can probably also think of the story of Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh, how he, he hardened his heart? When God brought all those plagues upon Egypt, I mean, Pharaoh saw God's power. He saw God's hand, yet he still hardened his heart against God. And what took place? Exodus 9, Exodus 14, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
If that's what you want, if that's what you're going to believe, if that's what you're going to hold on to, God says, fine, that's exactly what you're going to get. And so here in our text, the parable was given. The unbelievers, what he calls those on the outside, along with the disciples, right? They all heard it. They, all of them heard it, okay? The others would not understand. They didn't want to understand and now they can't understand. But for the disciples, they want to know what it means. The people who say, wow, this is Jesus speaking. I want to know what it means. And so in verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So Jesus comes across kind of a little bit surprised. Okay. Remember, Jesus doesn't usually interpret his parables, right? And so he's saying, if you guys don't get this one, then how are you guys going to understand any of them? Okay. Remember, folks, there's going to be a lot more parables that are going to be coming along here. Okay. And so therefore, to help them understand where he's coming from, or more so, how to look at these parables. Remember, a parable is a side-by-side -side comparison right? You give parallel lines, right? Think of something like that. So, uh, so now to help them to see this, he gives them the interpretation. And that's where we start in verse 14. He says, the farmer sows the word. That's it. That's all of verse 14. Very simple beginning, isn't it? The farmer sows the word. Now, there's two things here to mention. As far as the farmer or the sower is concerned, you'll notice that he doesn't say who this is, does he? doesn't mention anybody. He doesn't tell us what this person looks like. He doesn't tell us the amount of seed that he threw. He didn't say how this person dresses for that matter. He didn't tell us, is this guy quiet or is this guy a type A personality? Is this guy rich? Is this guy poor? There is nothing, literally nothing, that is describing this person. And you know what that means? That means it can be who? Anybody. Anybody. Up to this point in New Testament history, it would be Jesus, right? Eventually, the 12 would be included, 2,000 years later, it consists of a whole lot of people, even you, even me. The sower is anybody who sows the seed, anybody who shares the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, I, personally, I like the fact that he does not give any specifics here because when you begin to have specifics, that's going to allow people to make excuses, okay? He didn't give any of the specifics because people will be looking for an opportunity to make an excuse. Oh, well, the person Jesus is talking about is nothing like me, right? They're older or, or they're younger. Well, they dress differently than I do. Well, we probably have different personalities. They're, he's an extrovert, but I, I'm, I'm an introvert, okay? Obviously, they're not talking about me. That, that passage doesn't apply to me. Lots and lots of excuses. But the bottom line is that the sower is anyone who's willing to scatter the seed. 
Anybody. See? Now, when it comes to what the seed is at this point, he is very specific. Okay? He says it is the word. Or as if you look at the Gospel of Luke, it is the word of God. Now, in the first century, uh, when this takes place, uh, it would probably be called the message of the kingdom. Okay? Today, you and I might simply break it down into a smaller chunk, and we would just simply use the gospel. It is the gospel, right? Today, we might, we might say the gospel, which means good news, right? You guys know what the gospel means? Good news. That good news, of course, is, is revolving around the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is Jesus Christ, why he came, what he did. That's the gospel, The seed that is sown, whether it is called the message of the kingdom or whether it's called the gospel, is based upon what the word of God says about Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. What does the word of God say about Jesus Christ? Okay, Folks, that is the message that changes lives. Okay? That's the most important. That's the message that can save a sin-sick soul and change their very lives from within, as he's done for many of us here today. And this is why it alone is the seed. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone is the seed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 puts it this way. I like it because it really just lays it out. For you have been born again... We got that part, right? You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Listen, through the living and enduring word of God. You want to cut it shorter? You've been born again through the word of God. That's what it just told us. (laughs) Right? How about Hebrews 4.12? Anybody know Hebrews 4.12? The Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even to the dividing of joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's the Word of God that has the power. Romans 1.16. Maybe you know this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what? It is the power of God unto salvation. That's exactly right. Folks, whether it be in church history that we read all about in the book of Acts, whether it be the time of the Reformation, or whether you move forward and, and it's the time of the Great Awakening, the seed that was sown has always been the same. It doesn't change. It's the only message that can save a life eternally. Now at this point, as we begin to look at the different soils, we're going to see what kind of reception that the seed is going to get. Okay? Now in the interpretation of the four soils, the the attitude towards the seed, which is the word of God, on the part of those who hear it, determines the result. Okay, I'll say that again. The attitude towards the seed, 
which is the word of God, on the part of those who hear it, hear the message, it's going to determine its result. Look at verse 15. He says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word of God is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, as we begin here, you notice this verse starts with some people. Okay? The soil has now become people. Right? The soil has now become people. It went from how the soil receives the seed to how a person receives the word of God. Matter of fact, Matthew is even more specific when he speaks of the heart. Okay? How or if a person receives the word of God is determined in their heart. Okay? Therefore, knowing the heart of man, and sadly, we do know the heart of man, we must understand there's going to be some rejection, isn't there? If it's an issue dealing with the heart versus the word of God, there's going to be some rejection. No matter how much seed that the sower throws, there's always going to be that soil that just does not want to accept it. Well, here in verse 15, the parable goes back to the path, okay? The path, if you remember, was hard. It was hard. It was compacted dirt that people actually just walked on every single day. These paths were so hard, they could not seem to penetrate the soil, and therefore the birds, as I mentioned earlier, just came and they ate it up. It's like if I threw seed on that table or this, this flooring right here, it's, not gonna, it's just going to remain sitting there. It's not going to absorb or get into the soil. The birds are just going to come and eat it up. So here, the soil, or if you will, the heart of the person, is the same as the seed and the path. The seed is sown, but the heart is hard. The heart is impenetrable. The seed, the word of God, it just sits there because it's being ignored. The person wants nothing to do with it. It's just hard. The path as well as the heart. The word of God, folks, can be handed to some people on a finitum, but it never penetrates. It just lays there. And as this verse says, Satan, just like the birds just comes and he snatches it up. If there is such a thing as an easy job for Satan, this is it. There's, there's really nobody to convince, right? This is one of those easy days on the job. This person is already a God-hating, Christ-rejecting, hard ground. Sure, there's no question this could be somebody like an atheist, maybe the first person that came to your mind, oh, it's some hard-nosed atheist. But this could also be someone who grew up in the church. Let's be clear. Something happened maybe in those years of growing up in the church. In their minds, it was something horrible. So whatever it was, it turned them away forever. Throw as much seed you want at these people. 
But as we say today, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel many times. Seed has been thrown at them for a long time. They've heard all the stories. They know the illustrations, maybe from the Old Testament. They've heard numerous testimonies for, from other people. They've heard all the Christian lingo, right? But they also know the hypocrisy of many of us. They know the lifestyle doesn't match up with the message. People on TV, they're always wanting nothing but money. Their Sunday school teacher, when they were 10 years old, ran off with the choir director. This person has a wall up that you cannot imagine. David McKenna calls it a hardened shell of emotional and intellectual defenses. It's like, good luck. You can't get to me. Have you ever known anybody like that? Got a lot of head shaking. Better than that, is that you? How dare I say that? Is it you? Are you here today because simply it's your good deed? It's Sunday morning. You're, you're, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go to church. You can really care less about what I have to say. And that's a pretty scary place to be. If you're happy in your unbelief, if you're happy in your rejection, I, I really can't help you. That being said, if you feel like telling me why, I'd be more than happy to listen. The second soil that Jesus mentions, and I'm going to have to close with the second soil, is we see here in verses 16 and 17. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So like the shallow soil that had a rock bed that was right below it, right? It accepted the seed. It sprouted because it had a little bit of soil there before the rock. Accepted the seed, it sprouted, but then with no water, a lot of sun, it dies. Like verse 6 and verse 17 says, they had no root. Okay? Now here in verse 16, it says the person heard the word and at once. Did you catch that? The person heard the word and at once received it with joy. So here we have a person who has just enough soil just enough soil, just like in the parable, who immediately receives the word. And he says, they do it with enthusiasm. Verse 16 says, they do it with joy. Yeah, right? This is the person who says, man, that's attractive. That sounds really good, right? Forgiveness, eternal life. Man, I'm down with that. Sign me up. Yeah, woo, glad I heard that. 
Sadly, in their whirlwind experience of walking down the aisle or of praying a prayer, having the congregation clap, yes. Being told they're heaven bound, they got to hear that. This person comes to church for a couple of weeks and they never see him again. I'll ask you again. Anybody ever known anybody like that? You call them because you want to see how they're doing. You tell them, hey, you know, we're having a weekly Bible study. We'd, we'd love to have you come over. And they hand you excuse number one. You wait a few days. You don't, obviously don't want to uh, bug them. And you fire off an email. And you get excuse number two. You decide to call them on the weekend. Say, hey, how about if we just get, to get our kids together to have a play day at the park? That'd be great. You never even get a return call this time. It's like, it's like the plant that, that, that when it sprouts, you're thinking, man, originally, you're thinking, man, this is great. Look how fast that plant came up. Right? You write yourself a stick'em note. You swing by the, the nursery the next week. You get a brand new watering bucket. Maybe you pick up some fertilizer, right? But before you can even make the investment, the plant is dead. You got no return, no crop, no flower, no grain. Whatever it is that you planted, you got nothing. I think, unfortunately, Many of us have seen this in real life. Someone makes a profession of faith, but it turns out to be artificial. They never counted the cost, and they really don't want to follow Jesus. They really like, though, the offer of forgiveness of sins, huh? Heaven? Yeah, I'll take it. But that's really all they want. They want fire insurance. Verse, verse 16 says it happens quick. It says it happens at once. And he says it's based on emotion. They received it with joy. These are people who are thinking with their heads and not with their hearts. Once again, verse 17 says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word he says what they quickly fall away it says as fast as that plant sprouted is the same speed at which it will wither to quote mckenna once again it's the result of a spiritual experience that is emotionally exhilarating but it is intellectually rootless. We've all heard pastors in our years gone by or on TV, they sit up there, they tell people, you need to get your life in order. You need to bring your marriage back together. You need to get out of debt. There are people are going, yeah, that's right. Well, Jesus can do it. I didn't hear any gospel message anywhere in that. How many times have I heard that? I can't even tell you. 
Jesus can do it. Well, guess what happens when life smacks that person right in the chops? When they're in debt? Maybe their spouse is is having an online affair? It says they quickly fall away. Quickly. Their profession of faith was self-centered. It was not God-centered. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want to follow Him. They certainly didn't want Him to be Lord of their lives. They want the effects. Right? I want what Jesus can give me. I want that forgiveness. Yeah, I can can do what I do and not have to worry about, about eternal life one day. I'm going to heaven. I want that. It's not God-centered, it's self-centered. What can I get from Christianity? And when personal satisfaction doesn't come along, neither do they. Sadly, many of us have seen these types um, of people. In my opinion, there have been millions upon millions upon millions of them on this planet. But remember, you are out there, hopefully, casting a seed. You're out there sharing the gospel with people. What happens depends on the condition of the soil. All you can do is to cast a seed. We use that term a lot. We can't save people. And we can't. There's nothing. <laughs> we couldn't save ourselves. The farmer does it, and he knows. He knows. He knows when he scatters seed that a lot of it is not going to catch. A lot of it is not going to germinate. But he also knows that there is some good soil. He knows it. And so he keeps doing it. He knows he'll find it. See? Well, I hope you'll come back next week, and we will finish the second half of this, of, uh, this parable together. But I remind you of the track that I threw on the floor over there. Um, they, there are some of those out front, okay? And it's just a reminder. I hope that you, I've been praying for myself recently that I would be able to share Christ with some of my neighbors. I do have a lot of believing neighbors, but there are some that I'm friends with, but I know they don't know Christ. And so I'm, I'm working on that introduction and uh, uh, giving them the gospel message, sharing where I'm coming from and so forth. But if, if, you're, if, if you feel that, oh man, that's just a real tough one for me, then fine, then use a gospel track. Put it on somebody's windshield, put it on a can of green beans in Walmart, stick it, uh, uh, you know, wherever you want to stick it on a bulletin board at, at Lowe's, whatever you're going to do. Um, walk by somebody you know who's not a believer and flicking on their desk, you know, whatever, however it may be. Somebody may come to Christ by that, or, or somebody may talk to you later and say, you know, you know, that was me, I threw that out there for you. Some of them, you might watch them, just throw it right in the garbage. But that's okay. It, it needs to get out there. Because there is a lot of soil that is good soil. And it will, as we'll see next time, it will produce a crop. I say this many times over the, all the years. Somebody at one time shared the gospel with every single person in here. Share it with people. If you need to use a track, use a track. But just remember what your job is. You scatter that seed. Give them the truth of the gospel. That's all you can do. But God can use you in that. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you, Lord, for our time today of, of being able to look at at least part of this, uh, this parable. Uh, it, it is very real. It's very realistic in our own lives as uh, Lord, we know that many people are going to reject the word of God. They're going to reject the sea. They want literally nothing to do with you. Their heart is so, so hard. We know that somebody else may look at it and say, well, hey, uh, thanks, thank, thanks for sharing that with me. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing. And then two weeks later, they want nothing to do with it because they didn't get everything they wanted. They're self-centered. And Lord, we can go on as we will next week as well. But Lord, we also know that there are many people and those of us here in this church and many others, Lord, who've come to faith in Christ. And we don't always know everybody's testimony, but it had to come through the gospel. And uh, it was just a great reminder when those tracks were purchased that uh, what to expect. But yet we have one job. You know, Lord, and that is to share, share the gospel, share Christ, hand out a track, share our testimony, whatever it does to get people to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that he came and he died for their sins. He was buried, but yet he rose again from the grave and he lives today at the right hand of the Father. And through trusting in him, they too can be forgiven. If they turn from this world, repent and put their faith in Christ. Lord, may we be faithful to share the message understanding that not everybody is going to accept it, but be faithful with the greatest message ever told. In Jesus' name, amen.